and welcome to the One Broke Actress Podcast. The One Broke Actress Podcast. The The One One Broke Broke Actress Actress Podcast. Podcast. This is the podcast giving you an honest account of actor life. I mean, can we just be honest for a second? Plus a few lessons I learned in the process. This is what I'm saying. Nobody knows anything. I'm your host, Sam Valentine. Hi guys, welcome back. Happy Sunday, episode two of season four. Here we go. Let's knock out our paperwork super fast. Number one, did you join our email list? Did you get today's email about the podcast? You should check. I know no one likes emails on a Sunday, but it's a fun one. There's also a little info about what's going on this week. Quick little heads up. You guys, you should be subscribed to the podcast, first of all, and rate and review it. But We're starting a new thing this season. That's right. This Thursday and every other Thursday for the rest of the season, you're going to get a Solo Sam episode. Yes. You asked. I listened. I really, really, really tried not to listen. I really didn't want to do these, but apparently you guys want to hear from me, which is crazy to me because I still feel like I have so much to learn. So here's how this is going to work. Uh, Every other Thursday, I am going to do a solo Sam episode talking about some certain subject to do with this business for actors. I am going to share my insights with you, my little two cents, and I'm also going to share everything you guys want other people to know. So I'm going to give you the topic at the end of today's podcast, and you are going to write to me on Instagram or via email. You can just reply back to the One Broke Actress newsletter that you probably got in your inbox because you subscribed at onebrokeactress.com. Hint, hint, hint. Um, And you can tell me what you think other people should know. And I'm going to share your advice on the podcast too. And if you want me to credit you, I will. And if not, I'll do it completely anonymous because I know sometimes... Sharing stuff with other people in the actor business feels really, really weird, especially when you first start. So make sure to listen to the end of today's episode to hear what this week's topic is, and you can give me all of your lessons. I'll give you some of mine, and we'll chat on Thursday. But let's focus today, Sunday, episode two. For the first time ever, we have a seasoned writer and director on the podcast, Rawson Thurber, ladies and gentlemen. Did you ever see a little movie called Dodgeball or We Are the Millers or Central Intelligence or Skyscraper? I could go on. Kind of a big name, gotta tell ya. Rawson's been a friend for a while. We met each other at a CrossFit gym many moons ago. I had the pleasure of working with him on Ryan Hansen Solves Crimes on Television on YouTube Red, and he's just an awesome guy all around, super genuine. He really opens up with us today about the world of writing and directing. And to be honest, I know a lot of actors who are creating their own content now. And even if you're not, I think this episode is going to be really helpful in that you'll learn some lessons about being on set and working for a writer-director. Today, Rawson and I are going to talk about everything from what it takes to make it in the industry to which of the elements that it takes you can actually control, what it's like to write a script from his perspective, and why it feels like most writers are just goofing off, and the balance of family and a career. So buckle up, get excited, and ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please enjoy Rawson Thurber. 
Rawson. Sam. Uh, okay, so if you just kind of want to start with telling me when you first got interested in this business, mm-hmm. were you always interested in, I'm going to write and direct my own hilarious movies? Like, what, was your, what was your impetus for this? Um, gosh, well, I, 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 uh, I always loved movies growing up. I mean, I don't think that's unique. Um, but in my family, they sort of had a special, um, special place uh, whenever we'd go see a movie. Like, I still, one of my earliest memories is uh, my, my mom taking us out of school uh, to see a uh, return of the Jedi. Like we like left school to go see it on the morning it opened. So it always, always had a really special significance and, and movies were important in my family. Um, you know, I remember whenever we would uh, see if uh, a film would be, you'd get back in the car and my mom would always ask us, uh, you know, what was our favorite scene, you know, or moment. And I think that's when I first started to think of, movies as scenes or moments and if there are scenes or moments then somebody has to be creating those scenes or moments and then I started to kind of fall in love with it my folks divorced and I spent when I was young um, and I spent summers with my dad in San Diego um, uh, long hot summers in San Diego and we spent a lot of that time in the movie theater and I'd go see the same movie two or three times this is just when um sort of VHS and VCRs were coming out and you could rent them and so I'd watch movies all the time and my dad uh Did you go blockbuster? Uh sure, yeah, blockbuster <laughs> for for real. Um but we uh I mean not, you know I'm 44 so this is pre-blockbuster even. Um if you can believe it there was a time before blockbuster. Um there was also a time before YouTube. Uh, I know, I know. I'm glad we're both sitting. Um, <laughs> but but at any rate, so like we'd go go to these movies. My dad would fall asleep instantly, and I would watch them. Um, and that was sort of uh, you know. And so just movies matter to me. I think the first time I ever saw my dad cry was in E. T. Um, and uh, and so they were just always powerful and always mattered to me. And um, and I always loved them. And I could always sort of write from a pretty young age. And uh, kind of staggered forward from there. Did you go to school? Uh, yeah, twice. Um, twice. Went to college twice. Um, I, I'm from the Bay Area originally, from San Francisco. I was born in the city proper and then raised in the, in the East Bay, a little town called Orinda. I just went to San Francisco for the first time last week. Oh, yeah? What did you think? I thought it was great. It's a hell of a town. I love the exercise. Yeah, I, 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 wish, <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could move back, but uh, uh, sadly, I think this business is keeping me, is keeping me locked in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess there are worse places to be. And uh, you just got a house. Yeah, yeah. My wife and I are just uh, just closing on a house, and uh, you know, we we're talking before we started rolling. We have to uh, remodel the whole thing. It's it's quite a dump, but uh, but we're gonna. Yeah, we've been watching a lot of Fixer Upper, so we feel like we got it. We feel like we got it. Isn't it yeah, just? It takes about it takes about thirty minutes, right? And yeah, then you're done. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then sure. there's a big reveal. Good. I'm glad I'm aware. Um, so uh, blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, graduated from high school, uh, Maramonte High School in Orinda, California. Went to a tiny liberal arts school in upstate New York called Union College. Um, they didn't have a film program, so I, uh, I sort of double majored in English and theater arts, and I had a classics history minor. Um, and then I created my own film club there, uh, misappropriated some funds to get a camera and wrote, <laughs> wrote, wrote some, you know, wrote, directed and, 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 and shot and edited some really, really bad student films or short films rather, uh, wrote a terrible one act play that I directed, um, took it to my first directing class was theater, a theater directing class. But at the time, did you think it was terrible? You probably thought it was cool. Mm, well, I remember... So the first movie I made, I don't think I've ever told this story. I made a movie that exclusive. I yeah exclusive. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I wrote and directed a movie called Palaver, 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and palaver is a, a fancy word for sort of idle chit chat or, you know, gossip or banter or what have you. And I wrote it and I basically, we cast it at Union College. Union College is a tiny school, like 2,200 students, like oh, wow. super, super small. Right. And we cast it with everybody who's, you know, at Union and, and, uh, you know, shot it. I edited it. I edited it in um the public access uh, station in schenectady and it was like dead of winter and they have no heat and it was freezing and i was cutting you know cutting it on a old school sort of um reel to reel almost and then and then i so I was, it, was my, it was my senior thesis and so then i finished it it was probably 15 minutes or 14 minutes already too long for a short film <laughs> and um and we uh, and I and I put up you know signs and flyers like hey we're having the, my screening come check it out in our you know auditorium and uh, and I'd never screened anything in my life before never once and I didn't even I wasn't really thinking about that anybody would show up and and I I just sort of my I thought my thesis advisor would be there and we'd watch it and that would be it it's so opened up and people start coming right and then more people start coming and then and then it's then the whole middle section of the auditorium is filled up and then the sides are filled up. This is a, a school that has 2,200 students, like I said, and there were about 500 people <laughs> in the theater. There were like the rows, the back rows, and my heart is going gunk, 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 you beating like out of my chest. You like a quarter of the school that yeah. you're screening. Yeah, uh, that was, and because most of them are in it or friends of them are, <laughs> friends of theirs are in it, right? And I am, I am flop sweating, Sam. I'm sweating. I'm like, it's like, I'm like Albert Brooks in broadcast news, just like flop sweating. And, I, and I'm like, I have never had this experience before. I'm like, what, why am I shaking? Like, I got to get out of here. We, 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 they, they, they hit play on the thing and I, I leave the auditorium. I can't be in there. I was, I'm like, like, I, not quite a panic attack because I don't think I've ever had one, but like, like yeah just like your body is shaking there's so much adrenaline you're so freaked out um and I'm, I'm sort of pacing outside of the of the theater and then i start hearing people laugh and laugh louder and louder and good thing it was a comedy so i was like okay that's probably a good sign and then i go back in and it plays gangbusters it plays through the roof uh got an a uh and uh, but it's not very good it's just like Everybody knows everybody. It's like watching a home movie. It's like 500 people right. watching a home movie. It's not, you know, it's not no great shakes. Um, but uh, but that was my very first experience ever putting something up, and uh, and it was it was narcotic. Like it's like the best feeling ever, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think pretty much around that point, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, but I want to try. Um, and because uh, this was really fun uh, and scary. And also fun. And so then I um, applied to uh, film school. I applied to the Peter Stark Producing Program at USC, um, which is a two-year Master of Fine Arts um, and a pretty competitive program. I got in, uh, was there from um, 97 to 99, graduated in 99. So I finished film school in the 1900s and then then moved on. and I, uh, I started working for, um, I'm skipping over some pieces here, but I started working for a screenwriter named John August, um, oh, who's fin- so funny. I just finished his, um, two novels. Oh yeah. His the Arlo Finch stuff. I love them. Oh, cool. Yeah. I hear they're great. I, I gave them to my nephew who's, who's obsessed. I just haven't had a chance. Caleb got them for me for Christmas. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, Are you I a Harry Potter it. fan? I am. Yeah. So that's why he got them so for me. So is my wife. I sincerely hope I mean I, I feel as though he's going to make him into a movie they're so if anybody can do it John can that's what I said yeah. he's so great. Have you, do so you cool. listen to his podcast yes okay mm-hmm. cool Caleb yeah. religiously so oh it's great pop in. it's great it's great it's great um, uh, uh, script notes uh, Craig Mays and John August but uh, so I worked for John for about two and a half years he went to Stark uh, the USC program and um, and uh, I you know managed to get in my resume and uh, he hired me and uh, and it was just a great sort of incubator out of out of college 
um, out of graduate school to sort of learn firsthand what it, what it means to be a professional screenwriter in town. How, uh, how did you get his contact information mm-hmm. to submit to be working with him? Uh, great question. So he went to Stark. He, mm-hmm. So he, and, and the Stark program only takes 24 students a year. exclusive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get, I think, upwards of, you know, eight or 10,000 applications a year wow. and they take 24 kids. So it's, it's, that's awesome. Yeah. I still, I honestly have no idea how I got in. I, I, I you, you didn't know. send your 500 person home. No, I didn't. <laughs> I wrote some, I wrote some ridiculous statement, like an essay statement about like the kind of movies I would make and the kind of movies I wouldn't. And like, I wrote like a, like a top 10 things I would never do. And I don't know. It was all very sort of tongue in cheek. I couldn't even, I would be mortified. (laughs) And then, I don't know if you followed up. Oh my goodness. I think, I think one of them was like, never, uh, put an animatronic monkey in a movie. So, so far I'm good there. Um, you know, although I think I would now, no, no, I'm all about it. Like I, I mean, you know, rules are made to be broken, I guess. But, um, anyways, uh, so John was looking for an assistant and he hires almost exclusively from the Stark program. So it was already sort of a smaller pool. Um, and then I was interning my second year at William Morris. So your second year of the Stark program, you um, go to school at night and you have your days free so that you can work in town and they set you up with an internship. So I was working at William Morris before it was William Morris Endeavor. So I would, um, get up and be at the agency at seven and I work till 7 PM. And then I go drive to my little $800 Toyota Corolla down to, uh, USC and be in class from 730 to 1030, go to bed, get up, do it again. So it was a, it was a pretty long year, but it was, um, great. And so I learned a lot about the agency and wow. how it works. You know, I got to audit all the different divisions and I ended up being a floater. And then I was in the agency trainee program, even though I never, ever, 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 ever wanted to be an agent. And we can talk about that <laughs> another time. Or Is it later. ironic that they rep you now? It is. Well, that's a pretty full circle. Yeah. 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 Um, well, at least I knew how the sausage was made Um, and don't, I don't typically expect something of my agent that they don't do. Um, but, uh, at any rate, so, Mm -hmm. um, so two agents came to speak to our class at Stark one of those nights and one of them represented, uh, John, his name's David Kramer. He's a fantastic agent at UTA. Mm -hmm. The other one was Greg McKnight who ended up becoming my agent for a long, long time. Mm Um, and at the break, um, when they were talking to us, I said, Hey, I hear John's looking for an assistant. Can you please get him a resume? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so I sort of buttonholed each of them. And then the Stark program itself sent my resume. And then I had one other person who knew John sent my resume and then I didn't hear anything for a few weeks. And then my phone rang and it was John. And he's like, look, I got your resume from like six different places. So I guess we should probably meet. Uh, and that, that was how, and then, um, he met me and liked me and, and it was just a great, um, learning experience you know you got to I get to see how Hardy works I got to see sort of what it really takes and what it really is mm-hmm. um, how to how to um, comport yourself as a professional uh, on the screenwriting side and um, and what was awesome about it is that working for John the, a big part of it is um, there's not a ton to do or at the time when I was working for him there wasn't a ton to do now he's like a cottage industry so I'm sure everyone's a lot a lot busier but mm-hmm. but you're only really there to write your own thing like John that was John's sort of push is like if you're not writing a screenplay um, you shouldn't be here I've hired the wrong person you know what I mean <laughs> so uh, and so I did that and I wrote a terrible script uh, that I gave to him which was like a uh, just a dumb action movie and then uh, and he hated it and then I wrote dodgeball and he loved it and then um, we moved on from there so you wrote Dodgeball while you were with working as his assistant? Mm-hmm. I sure did. Um, uh, during the day, nights, weekends. I actually didn't have a laptop, so I'd borrow John's laptop that I worked on during the day, and I'd write it um, during the day, and I'd write it, eh, and um, 
you know, and the first script I gave him, um, I gave it to him on like a Friday, the, the bad action movie. And, um, and I, you know, sweating bullets all weekend. And then Monday I show up and, and John walks into, into my office and he has the script and he throws it on the desk and says, Nope. And walked out. <laughs> and I went, <gasps> like my chest, like I was like, Oh, and then I was like, Oh man. And then I, was and, he the first person to read that mm-hmm, particular script? Mm-hmm. I think maybe a friend of mine did, but like, okay, you know, I, I, and then I just put it in a drawer didn't show it to anybody. Um, and then, um, thankfully, and then I, um, and then I wrote Dodgeball and gave it to John. Same thing Friday, that Friday, and you know, it was a nervous wreck all weekend. And then he came in Monday and he put the put the he put the script on the desk and sat down and said, "This is really funny. We should talk." Cool. Uh, and that was it. Okay, so that's not it. That's where you no. go. Yeah. Then, then it got made. No. And then it, and then it was made. And now I'm sitting here. <laughs> um, How do you go from, especially at you were it was your first like big thing, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you go from the script exists on the page to getting it made because I think for mm-hmm. a lot of actors that's where obviously you had someone amazing read it mm-hmm. which is a huge help. step yep. um, and you had help along that way but how do you get something made because I feel like every time something gets made it's a small miracle yes and if that if that thing is good it's a large miracle mm-hmm. um, it's 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 well it's incredibly hard right I mean it's incredibly hard any avenue that you take because <clears throat> you know you're essentially you know, if you're if you're making an independent film at a certain budget or even a, a small, low budget studio film, you're asking someone to give you money for art, and mm. that is hard um, because art is incredibly subjective. It's usually terrible, um, <laughs> and 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 it almost is never profitable. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's it's it ain't easy. Like, if if you're if your goal is to make money, like this is not the right business to be in to make money. This right. is this is one of the worst businesses to be in to make money. Um, so congratulations, everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, but so, anyways, um, so John read it. He gave it to his agent, David Kramer, mm-hmm. the the dodgeball script. And um, David read it and called me up and said he was going to pass. He didn't want to represent me and didn't want to uh, didn't want to represent the script. And then two other agents at UTA called me up to also tell me they didn't want to represent me, which so, I thought was very polite. <laughs> it's nice for them to yeah. say something. Uh, thanks, I guess. <laughs> Would, so I don't know much about this process. Would a agent represent you and the script or one independently of the other? Sure, great question. So on the writing side, no, they would represent the writer mm-hmm. um, and therefore the screenplay. Um, and and sometimes you'll, I'm sure you know what this term is, uh, that you'll be hip pocketed, mm-hmm. right? So meaning like, we're gonna we're gonna take in an if come basis, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're not so sure, and we'll see. And if it sells, we'll take ten percent. If it doesn't sell, I won't return your phone call. <laughs> if it sells, I'll take ten percent, and then you're my new favorite person. Like that's right. it's just the it's just the brute mechanics of the business. I mm-hmm. think there's just so many there are so many um, aspirational writers, directors, actors out there that they just there's just not enough there are not enough agents and not enough hours in the day yeah. for that. So they have to. You know, they have to bet on winners. They have to represent people who work, um, you know, and it's not, you know, it's it's show business, not show friends, as we know. That's a really good quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is that? It's for Jerry Maguire, I think, right? Is it? Like, gosh, it's, yes, yes, it's Bob Sugar. Ah. It's show, it's show business. It's not show friends. Ugh, that's going to go in my trailer for this season. There you go. <laughs> so... Then where did it go? Oh, uh, I think this is expe- especially interesting because 
like pre dodgeball, mm-hmm. it's kind of where a lot of our listeners are at. Sure. You know, they don't have a, a, a yeah. big credit to their name. It's this mm-hmm. process is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, okay. So I can go through it, uh, uh, bit by bit, but please stop me when you're bored and we can skip forward. I'll let you. Uh, thank you. Um, I, my goal is not to bore you. So. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, uh, uh, it was devastating, uh, when John's fantastic agent didn't want to represent me. Um, and I didn't have an agent. Um, you know, I wrote, I had a, you know, I was living in a sort of tiny little, uh, duplex off of Melrose, you know, and I was writing the script, you know, everywhere. And every once in a while I'd see Vince Vaughn walk by and, you know, so I wrote, I wrote the hero role for Vince Vaughn and I would think, Oh man, I know something you don't know. Cause the swingers changed my life. Um, I just, my, all, one of my all time favorite films and really a seminal, um, a moment for me. Uh, so, uh, I, uh, Would you do like the classic write at a coffee shop kind of thing? Yeah, uh, yeah. When I when I had to, uh, typically I'd write at home, um, just because it's uh, I don't know. But but it's often you know I would say fifteen or twenty percent of the time I'll just get out of the house and go sit in a coffee shop and write. But mm-hmm. but um, you know, uh, but in this particular case, I, there were coffee shops that I would have occasionally write in and see them walking by, and I'm writing my you know silly uh, movie about adults playing dodgeball and <laughs> and. and, and so, what did you think of that, by the way? Um, I'd always been sort of a, a sports um, geek and a comedy nerd, and I just sort of put those worlds together. Um, you know, I, I love sports, and uh, you know, play play my whole life, and I love comedy, and, and I wanted to. There's so many sports movies I loved growing up, and I wanted to sort of um, write my love letter to those. And but I didn't want it to be serious. I didn't want anybody to take it seriously. And I figured that nobody could take a movie about dodgeball seriously. Um, <laughs> and so I got to sort of play with conventions. But like you know, Karate Kid, Bad News Bears, Wildcats, Bull Durham, Major League, mm-hmm. Hoosiers, Rudy. You know, uh, obviously the, the Natural. Like. Uh, you know, there are all these great sports sports films out there. A lot of them are sort of Island of Misfit Toys kind of uh, stories. And that's sort of what I wanted to do. But I wanted to do, like, my version of that. Um, okay, cool. That's curious. why. And so, anyways, didn't have an agent. Um, had a friend of mine who was an assistant at Paradigm um, who was dating a friend of mine. And that's how I knew him. And I got him the script. And he got it to his boss who read it. And called me up and said he wanted to represent me. His name is Mark Ross, and he's still at Paradigm. He's a fantastic agent. Cool. And um, and when I went to meet Mark, um, he's like, "Yeah, come on, I'll meet me on Saturday." And I'm like, "Great, you know, where are you?" He's like, "I'm out in Malibu." So he's at like this Malibu beach house party, and like I go out to this, and like you know, and I'm like, "Oh my god, maybe this is what it's like." Like it's like a big party in the beach, Malibu beach, and like, like how I, you picture it in movies. Yeah, right, exactly. And by the way, I've never been to a Malibu beach party since. This is <laughs> that's the, the first and only time. Um, and he's like, I loved your script. I want to represent you. And I'm like, great. You know, um, so if an agent wants to represent you, the answer should always be yes, because it's so hard to, to get that uh, an agent, of course, but also because you want anybody calling on your behalf, uh, who isn't you is better. Um, I think so. Um, it's better to have an agent than not, but it's not better to have, um, an agent who doesn't represent you than to not have an agent, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's there's no point in having an agent who doesn't return your phone calls, who actually isn't working for you. Like, that's worthless. Um, I'm sure you know. So, he represented me. We um, we we um, sent the script out uh, around town. Um, I actually um, 
I bought a bunch of uh, red dodgeballs uh, at Big Five, and uh-huh. I stenciled. The, the script was called Underdogs at the time, and I hand stenciled underdogs on all of them. I still have one. I sent it out with the, with the spec. Everybody said no. Everybody passed. Um, did you? Uh, for this process, did you do any rewrites on this, or did the agent kind of take it as it was, and you guys sent it out? Um, the agent took it as it was. Um, I don't know why, but he did. Because don't most scripts have a couple of rewrites before you send them out? Oh, for sure. Okay. I, I'm not saying I, I like came off the off the printer. I'm like, I'm done, guys. What? What? And like, <laughs> mic drop. Like, I think. The I mean, fir- I'm sure that wasn't the same movie that got made. No, gosh, obviously, no. Uh, but- that, that that there was a lot of rewrites between the first draft and, and what we shot. But um, but when I before I showed it to anybody, I wrote probably half a dozen drafts okay. as I was like, you know, finding it and messing it up. I think I wrote my first draft was like 154 pages. And as you know, like a, a, a proper script is anywhere from a hundred to 120 pages. But, um, and certainly a comedy needs to be close to, you know, as a hundred as possible. So I, you know, it was a mess and I was just, you know, it was funny, but, but a bit of a shaggy dog and, mm-hmm. and yada, yada, yada. At any rate. So by the time it got to Mark Ross and he sent it out, I think it was, you know, close to its fighting weight and, and, cool. and kind of worked. And so then I, I would go around town. I had all these meetings at these places that read the script and, and they all thought it was really funny, but it, all the meetings kind of went like this. Wow, boy, what a funny script. Uh, we're never going to make it. And, 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 uh, and also we don't validate parking. And, and I was just like, ah. so why talk, do they see you? I don't know. Cause they just wanted have. to see me and say like, Hey, what, you know, we've got the, these other six terrible ideas. Do you want to work on those? Mm, um, okay. you know, it's one so they saw value in your writing. Obviously. Sure. Yeah. So, th- and that's, you know, that's 99% of the time when a spec or a script goes out there, it isn't purchased. Mm-hmm. Right. But the, the second best thing, sometimes even better is to go on the, the sort of, um, the, the bottled water tour, right? Like you go around and meet everybody, uh-huh. you laugh at bad jokes, you say, Oh, that idea sounds good. And you might get up more work out of it. Right. Cool. Um, so in this particular case, um, Everybody said no uh, twice, and uh, you know, it cost me like six bucks every time or whatever. <laughs> and then, and then we finally sent the script to Ben Stiller's company um, uh, because I wrote it for Ben. Um, I was a huge fan of the Stiller Show, and just you know, I, to this day, I think he's one of the funniest, most talented guys working. Um, and we sent it to his company, Red Hour, and the receptionist there read it and liked it. And gave it to the junior executive who read it and liked it, who gave it to Ben's producing partner who read it and liked it, who gave it to Ben who read it and liked it, and then he met me and liked me. But I went into this meeting with Stuart Kornfeld and Ben Stiller, and I was sort of so beaten down by being told no uh, so many times that I just sort of launched into this kind of, I don't know, sort of frothy, you know, there's a little speech. Jade, a jade well, I'm just like, thing. and I, and this is, and another thing, like you know, I'm like, and here's why you got to make a dodgeball movie, and I don't care if nobody has ever made one before, and if I make you laugh four times on a two and a half minute trailer, you're gonna see that movie, and I don't care what it's about, and this and the other thing, and da da da, and it was like, and they let me, they let me go, and then, um, and then Ben goes, uh, yeah, uh, we we like the script, we want to make it, we just wanted to meet you, uh, and I was like, oh, oh gosh. Can I unsay some stuff? <laughs> we Ro- could have opened yeah. that. Yeah. Can I just like wind back like the kind of <laughs> golly? Um, well, it worked so, out. There you go. Uh, and then and then so when you know Ben wanted to do it, he wanted to play the villain role. And, um, and is that what you pictured him? Mm-hmm. For yeah, yeah. That's what I wrote it for. Uh, I wrote I wrote White Goodman uh, that role for Ben Stiller. And um, and then he God, wanted what to make a dream. 
Oh my God. I, I didn't know any different. Like I got Vince Vaughn and Ben. So the two people I wrote it for, I wrote the female role for Christine Taylor. Cause I was a huge fan from, uh, the, the Brady pictures and also from Zoolander. Mm-hmm. I just think she's so talented. And then, um, I wrote the, there's a young, uh, character, Justin in there. I wrote it for Justin Long, uh, who am I, uh, I'm friends with. And he's just the funniest, one of the funniest guys out there. Um, and so I got him and then, um, and then there were some like actors we didn't end up casting that, you know, you know, that I totally missed on. Like mm-hmm. I didn't cast Steve Carell. He came in to read, oh, didn't cast no Seth way. Rogen. He came in to read, didn't cast Jason Siegel. He came in to read. Um, that is actually really cool to hear. Yeah. From that perspective. These actors don't forget it by the way. Cause I bumped into a couple of them. And I'm like, Hey, and they're like, yeah, you didn't cast me in dodgeball. I'm like, I am so sorry. <laughs> like I, there's only one role and it's not, it's an imperfect science. Um, <laughs> And congratulations on your Academy Award, you know, or whatever else, you know, like they don't let it go. They don't let it go. You, you, you you damn actors. (laughs) It's kind of cool though, that to get that happen, do you think that that receptionist reading it Mm -hmm. was like such a pivotal piece of that puzzle? Oh yeah. Massively. If, if, if his name's Will, and if he didn't like it, it would have, I who knows? I might not be sitting here uh, on your, on your fancy podcast. I think, um, (laughs) Yeah, I got him. I bought him like a, a giant bottle of uh, bourbon and a steak, like to say thank you. <laughs> but yeah, those gatekeepers are critically important. But yeah. I mean, I think what it comes down to is, you know, it's all everybody's story is different, but they're all the same um, in, in terms of, and especially in this town, which is, um, it really comes down to three things: uh, uh, hard work, luck, and talent, um, probably in equal measure. Um, and there's only one of those things you can really control, which is hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I find the harder I work, the luckier I get, but you know, you can work really hard and just not be talented and you're never going to, it's never going to work. Um, and you could be talented and work hard and just be unlucky in your timing. And that's right. also unfortunate. So I think anybody who's had any success in this town in any version will tell you, um, that, it, that so much of it is timing. What they'll see, they'll either say timing or luck, and it's the same thing. Right. Um, so, so that's, that's, you know, that's the hard truth of it. Like, there's no particular reason why I've um, made a career versus somebody else other than, than those, those three things. Um, well, and I think hardworking people, too, notice that a little bit more. Hmm. I feel like there's a... I've, I've seen a through line of people who I've sat down with who are extremely successful who just, they're like, I mean, I really got lucky, but they're grateful in a way for mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that it just makes them work harder because mm-hmm. they feel they need to prove the luck in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a correlation between that somewhere. I, I think that's an excellent point. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel staggeringly lucky um, and I work really hard. I, I'm not talented enough to not work hard. Like I don't, I can't, I just don't, I mean, I'm not good enough. Like I couldn't, I, I can't, I can't just go, yeah, wing it, you know? Um, I know. I just, uh, I'm not wired that way and I, and I, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not as, as, as gifted as other writers and other directors. So I just got to grind. How do you do your work? How do you sit down and write? I'm fascinated by, I have Hmm. never written a script. Really? No, I have zero. So you're the one, you're the one in town. Who's not written. One girl is not. Fantastic. This is my content I'm doing right now. Okay. Uh, I've never, I have never had the dry. I I have zero interest. I Mm. want to, but I just don't want to. You want to, but you don't want to. I want to have the want. Oh, you like, yes. I wish I wanted to write my own stuff. I, I, that's a great sentence. Um, <laughs> but I just don't at all. So when you were yeah. like, I'm like, do you have a schedule you follow? I'm going to sit down and write. Do you mm-hmm. do it a certain way? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, I'm so glad that you are not writing a screenplay. 
because we have pl- we have enough. There are plenty, and I'm so glad that you that you that you realize that it's just not your thing. I know where my lane is. Well, that's great. That's great. Thank God. Um, I thought I was gonna have to leave here to read in a screenplay. I'm so glad. Um, well, Caleb has a few in the drawer, which oh, Caleb. Uh, of course, I'll read whatever Caleb, Caleb wants. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a tricky thing, right? Because you're your own boss, um, and most writers that I that I think are good. Um, don't enjoy writing very much. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they. It's well because it's it's super. Um, it's unglamorous. It's um, full of angst and pain. And did you read uh, the Art of War? I have the, not. The, the War. Sun Tzu. The War of The War of Art. Art. War no, of I have it, but I've not read it. No. Oh, um, should I read it? It's super fast. Should I do it? I should do it right now. Yeah, it's a, this is now just an audio book. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just you know, it's just it's just tough. It's a tough job. Um, and and I think, uh, look, we're not laying asphalt for a living, you know. I mean, there are harder jobs out there. Um, you know, being a mom for sure is, is one of them. But um, but uh, but yeah, I think for me, it, having that self motivation um, is is critical. And if you don't have it, um, you know, it can it can it can take take a while to to find any success. So for me, I um, I try to write. Uh, you know, I, I like to get sort of four solid hours of writing a day okay. uh, if I can. Um, oh, during the week, on the weekends, I try to be with my family if I can. And it also just depends on what phase of the process I'm in. I've okay. been fortunate enough where I've just been making I've been making movies back to back to back for about. You're so busy. Yeah, I've been lucky that way. But like for like the last six plus years, I've just been like finishing a movie, writing the next movie shooting that, finishing it. So it's just been That's from crazy. from Miller's to Central to Skyscraper to this next one, which is called Red Notice. Like, it's just essentially been a conveyor belt. So I haven't had, in six or six or so years, I haven't had that moment to go, oh, what am I going to do today? You know? <laughs> like, what, like, we also have two kids. I've got two little ones. We, I, we did a TV show together, yeah. you know, two seasons of that. Um, and plus there's all the other sort of ephemera of, you know, uh, of – of, of the job, right? There's all this other sort of, you know, all the meetings, all the, you know, uh, you know shaking hands, kissing babies. Podcasts. Podcasts. <laughs> you know, but, but just like the actual work of, of yeah. I mean, meeting with executives, reading screenplays, talking to people, sort of the cultivating of the garden um, that has nothing to do with sort of, you know, the actual fruit yet. Mm-hmm. Um, That's kind of nice, though, that you've had back-to-back work because then you have, have you kind of had... Uh, a start and like bookends of your work. I need to have this script done by this date. Yeah. Um, yes. And I'm, I'm in that particular case right now. So for me, when we, when I, uh, when we were in um, post on central intelligence, um, I had an idea for a skyscraper. And so I pitched Dwayne while we were in post on central and he loved it. And then we went around town and pitched it and sold it. Um, uh, I think, before, gosh, I want to say before Central Intelligence came out. I want to say. And by yeah. Wayne, you mean? Oh, D- oh, Dwayne. Did I say Wayne? <laughs> I oh thought my. it said Wayne. No, Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, was a, that was a very casual. Yeah. Sorry, that's so lame. I just my brain is not fully there. <laughs> no, right I now. liked it. Uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, aka you the Rock. You guys have hung out long enough. You can call him whatever you want. I think. Uh, goes by DJ if you, if you know him. Um, and uh, he's my next get for the podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. All right, let's see what I can do. Uh, a uh, lovely, lovely guy, by the way. He sounds amazing. He is. He's actually like, he's exactly what you would want him to be. 
His work ethic is so inspiring to me. uh, Yes. Uh, It's, uh, yes. It's, and it's for real. Um, Believe (laughs) believe me. Um, Anyways. uh, So so, on Central. Oh, so Central, we came up with Skyscraper. We sold Skyscraper. So I was, and then we had a release date and I was was writing, basically I sold a pitch and I was writing it to be made. So Mary Parent at Universal bought it in a bidding war and she's like, here's, we're making it now. We're making this then. And so then I'm like writing as fast as I can. And on, and then on this next one, which is, uh, like I said, it's called Red Notice. I came up with that idea while we were shooting Skyscraper and I pitched away and he's like, I love it. I'm in. So you really get inspired while you're working. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, I, I think a lot of writers or, or filmmakers are this way where like whatever the thing you're working on is, is just annoying you. And there's always, <laughs> there's always some other idea. Oh my that's true across the board I'm, right yeah you're like true. ah but this other idea is God, so much better so much more fun because you haven't doing. fucked that idea up yet <laughs> right? right like you haven't you're not in it that's yeah. right yeah. you're in this one and all it is in this one is are problems and things you can't do and it's not coming around. but this other idea is perfect and boy shouldn't we be doing that so is this it, other idea it's like the same thing as work begets work but it's actually yeah. like a yes. different viewpoint yes <laughs> yes well it's like there's always something like a shiny object over here that's like more interesting because mm-hmm. it because it's it's problem free, right? It's like you know your relationships. Like, oh my god, it's like people have trouble dating. In That's LA. right. It's like, mm-hmm. well, this person you know has no problems yet. It's just a bunch of great pictures uh, <laughs> that I can that I can Oof. you know, and and I'll go have uh, I don't even remember people still go on dates. I'll go have a drink with this person, <laughs> and they'll be on their best behavior, and it'll seem perfect. And of course, nobody's perfect mm-hmm. um, except for my wife. Um, <laughs> and yeah, anyways, so so then we we sold uh, Red Notice. Um, uh, in, in, in a, in a, in a bit of a knife fight and have a release date cool. and yeah, that it, feels cool. it does. It, it's, it's actually really great. It's all the, 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 the thing that a lot of people don't know about when you get into a, what's called a competitive situation or a bidding war is it's, it's the best. I, I wish everybody for, I wish everybody has that experience. The downside is typically when you're in a bidding war, uh, if you've been in, in the business for a little bit, you know everybody and you like everybody. And a lot of times, like these are these are executives who you've made a movie with or producers that you really care about. Um, and you can only take one person to the prom. Mm-hmm. And that part of it is no fun. Like, you know, where you have to say, there's only one movie, we're gonna go with Universal. We love you guys. We're, we'll get you on the next one. We're so sorry. And here's, you know, and, and typically those decisions are razor thin because everybody's great. Everybody, you know, is the New York Yankees, mm-hmm. you know, uh, although I hate the Yankees, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Everybody is the gold standard and you're mm-hmm. just like, Gah. It's like not casting Steve Carell in Dodgeball. That's right. Like, like, like a moron would, like an, <laughs> like an absolute moron would. Um, so at any rate, um, that's, uh, so that, but, but, but um, right. So I've, so I've been, I've been fortunate that, um, I, it's just been a bit of, um, I, I don't want to say conveyor belt, but just kind of, you're moving. Uh, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a conveyor belt, like, a like I love Lucy with the chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> um, so good for me, I guess, Champagne but problems. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Right. That's great. Um, so, so, so I'm, I'm buried writing right now. That's so when you sit down to write, you're mm. like, I am writing or is it mm. cause I've learned from Caleb that yeah. when you sit down to write, it's not necessarily I'll come in and he's watching a YouTube video yep. about yep. something or yep. he's like, he has this little, like, it's not a fidget spinner. It's like a little, he has like yeah. hand things. Yep. He yep. plays. It's just yep. like a world. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm writing. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure you are, but I don't know. He what is. That looks like. I, he is. I promise you this is such a great question. It writing oftentimes looks a lot like goofing off. Um, <laughs> and, and typing is not 
not writing. That's a big, yeah. big misnomer, big misunderstanding. Uh, typing is not writing. But also not typing uh, is not writing. So you need to type also. <laughs> uh, but uh, but, but uh, uh, my wife has, has come to accept this about me, that there is a bit of fucking around and following your nose a little bit and you know watching a bunch of YouTube videos that have maybe nothing to do with what you're working on. But it's, it's all about... Um, that that creative process is not a linear process. You're not, you're not a banker. You're not selling insurance. You're not, you know, you're not a physicist. Like it's not that. It's it's a creative, fluid flow state that um, that I think is is where it comes from. But uh, but that but that doesn't mean that it can all just be like you know um, you know ballerina tutus and koosh balls. Like it, you have to sit your ass in the chair and work. Mm -hmm. And the only, the, the dirty secret about writing that any professional writer will tell you is it's only about rewriting, only and always about rewriting. So, and you can't rewrite anything until you write something, right? <laughs> and the, the solution to, 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 not, uh, to not writing is not, not writing. It is you have to write. You have to sit down and write bad stuff. Okay. Um, that's that's the that's the that's the trick. But for me, when I, I block these hours out, and um, I, I don't do this so much anymore, but for a while, when I when I really you know when you have two kids and you know a busy life, like you 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 have to be rigorous and and protective of your time. Yeah. And fortunately, I have um, uh, you know have a partner who is understanding of that and supportive of that. So thank God. Otherwise, I couldn't do my job. Mm -hmm. But for a while. I would, um, somebody else, another writer friend of mine gave me this tip, which is, um, to block off hours at a time. So I have, I had an egg timer, a literal egg timer, turn it to an hour, set it down, turn off the internet, turn off the phone. So I'm writing. The only thing I can be doing at, during this hour is writing a screenplay or, uh, typing into the, you know, uh, into fade in, into my screenplay mm -hmm. software or writing longhand about this idea. That's it. Right. Okay. And when that timer goes off, I give myself uh, 10 minutes or 15 minutes to get up and walk around, do whatever I want to do, sit back down in another hour. And I found uh, I found that, has, uh, you know, and, and when you're only doing four hours of actual writing, not like, hey, I wrote for eight hours today. Did you? you nobody writes for eight hours. No. You can't do it. It's like you're, you're messing around. You're you're in your office for eight hours. I'm not quite an actor was acting on set for eight hours. Yeah, it doesn't. No, doesn't. It was like 45 minutes. Yeah, if, if, right? <laughs> um, so anyways, I found, I found the, that sort of concentration time, that concentrated time, rather, to be um, very, very helpful. Um, and, and, you know, and then there's the, you know, we can get however deep you want to get, but there's the, the process of writing a first draft, mm -hmm. Um, which is an absolute kind of slugfest grind. Like you're you're at the quarry, sort of cracking the rock from the from the wall, dragging it back to the studio, right? Like that's that process. Like you're getting, you're gathering your marble, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, you're in the studio, you know, in your sort of Roman airy studio <laughs> next to Michelangelo, <laughs> and you have, you know, and you have your big chunk of marble, and that's your first draft. And then the process, as we all know, is removing everything that's not the statue, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I wish I wish, wish it was mine. I think I think it was either Da Vinci or Michelangelo who said it's you know it's only about it's you know how do you make your sculptures? I, I'm probably bastardizing this, but <laughs> well, Jerry you know, Maguire, Da Vinci. Yeah, yeah, well, that's how we do it. Uh, yeah, you just remove everything that's not the statue, and there you go. When you Easy. decided. Was there a choice that you were going to direct? Because you've directed so many of your movies. Have you directed mm -hmm. all of your movies? 
Yeah, I, I've never written something that someone else has directed, and I've never directed something I haven't written. That's crazy. Yeah. How do you earn that right in Hollywood? Like, is it just because Dodgeball went so well? And were you always attached as the director? Oh, great question. Um, always attached as the director. Um, and I, I guess for me, like, I never really, in my mind, I never really separated the two. Like, mm, the, the, the goal is to make a movie. And that's what's interesting about the screenplay format, right, is that it's, it's it, it, unlike a novel or an essay or a, long form poem, right? It's only purpose, right? Those things, when, when you finish your novel, it exists as the thing it should be, right? Mm-hmm. A screenplay's only purpose is to become a film, right? It's not its own literary document. In many ways, it is a business proposal, right? As much as it is a literary document. It, it, it's a blueprint to make something else. It is a chrysalis. It is not the butterfly, right? That's so. an interesting concept. I like that. Oh, thanks. Um, but, but so... Um, to me, I never thought of them as different things. Um, it's just like the, the goal here is to make a movie, right? At the end of the conveyor belt machine, we were making a movie, and this is what we need. This is this is the input data that we need to create that thing. So it's all a process of making the film. And the first time I get to direct the movie is when I write it. And so that's how I write. I think about, you know, I imagine the scene in my mind. I play it on the movie theater you know, screen on the inside of my forehead. Mm-hmm. And I think about how I'm going to shoot it and how I'm going to cut it and what it's going to look like. And then I write that down as best I can in as few words as I can, as clearly <laughs> as I can. Um, and then we go make it. Now, in terms of in, in terms of dodgeball, nobody wanted to make it anyways. So they also, it wasn't like they go, hey, we don't want to make your movie. And just for whatever it's worth, we think you probably shouldn't direct it either. <laughs> like that, they never did. <laughs> Thankfully, they never did that. Um, and, and I guess to me, like w- at the same time, I made a short film called Terry Tate Office Linebacker, which ended up becoming a Super Bowl commercial that I directed. So, which is a, a comedy, it was a, basically a knock-knock joke. It's a 60-second commercial um, about a CEO of a company who hires a six foot six, three hundred pound linebacker to tackle people in the office who aren't doing their job, and it was was a big hit on the Super Bowl and won a Golden Lion at Cannes and became a whole thing. <laughs> but so that was happening at the same time as as Dodgeball came out, and 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 what I would say to people out there who are looking to become a director um, is that the barrier has never been lower, right? Like you can make a feature film on your phone that's in your pocket. It is possible. It has been done. Um, there is, and there is a thing called the internet and another thing called YouTube and another thing called Vimeo and you can, uh, and Vivo, you can upload your work to be seen. Um, and that used to not be the case. So there is no reason why you can't do it. Um, the, the barrier to entry, like I said, is functionally zero. Um, and, and, and the cream will rise to the top just because like the typewriter was invented and we didn't suddenly have, you know, 20,000 Hemingways, right? Like it will be, you know, the best will rise, right? A hero will rise. And, um, and and so, and so, uh, so the, the best advice I could give to somebody who wants to be a director is yeah, poof, you're a director, go, you already are like, go do it. Once you direct something, you are a director. Everything else is negotiation. Everything else is just what you get paid to do it. Right. I love that. Um, so don't wait and don't ask for permission because there will never, ever, ever, ever come a time where someone's going to go, hi, yeah, Sam, hi. The, do- the dogs all oh, just woke up. Sorry, I knocked on the table. <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, yeah, nobody's going to knock on your door and say, oh, hi, Sam, sorry, we have all this money and we need a director. Can you? We just don't have one. When we, and we know you haven't done it before, but if you wouldn't mind, 
uh, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you got to do it. And so, and the other cool part about being a director is all you have to do is say you are one, and then you are. Um, you know, that's like kind of the magic of this town. Yeah, you yeah. just are what you put out there. A hundred, a hundred percent. And the other thing that's better about being a director than being uh, an actor is it doesn't matter what you look like, right? Like, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how big your ears are, how small your nose is, how tall you are, how short you are. Nobody cares, right? Um, And and unlike being an actor, um, if you're an actor for hire, you don't need, like an actor for hire needs somebody to say yes to them, right? And most of the time that answer is no, and we can talk about auditions if you want. Mm -hmm. but, But, I mean, that's a grim approach, right? But if you are a director, especially if you're a writer director, you know you're already you you get to start as a general in the army and not a private. Mm. It's a pretty good deal. That is, oh, lots of knowledge bombs today. <laughs> Let's talk about that then. You've obviously worked with a ton of really awesome actors. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've also watched a ton of not so awesome auditions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So for our actors who are listening, what should we know about? your side of the world um, from let's start with like the audition period. Sure. So how often do you watch auditions? Do you always watch them for most of your roles or you probably don't watch pre-reads though? Uh, I don't watch pre-reads. Um, uh, I want to watch as few auditions as I possibly can. Um, <laughs> and, and typically, I mean, unless it's a, unless it's like, you know, usually a, a, a child role, a, a young, mm-hmm. a young kids role, then I'll watch a lot more, but um, I rely heavily on my casting director um, and, and typically, um, well, let me ask it differently. Have you ever, uh, cast a, a short film or a film? Have no. you? Okay. Mm-hmm. You should really do it because here's I what happened. I to be a reader for several people. It's a very popular job. Oh, reader? Is that right? Yeah. That's to be a reader for casting directors. Is that Actors right? want to do it. Yeah. Cause you get in the room with the, um, you know, Olivia Wilde was, uh, worked, worked for a really? casting director and she did that. I yeah. believe it. Yeah, what a fantastic actress and person. But um, at any rate, so here's what happens. Every so you, uh, you know, I'm in the room whether I'm you know casting for a commercial or a feature. Mm-hmm. Um, feature is a little different because I've typically already watched the person's tape before they show up. But tip, but here's how it usually goes: you're sitting there, you know, behind the table or in the chair or whatever, and all you want, all you want, is for the person to walk through that door and nail it. Like you just, cause you don't want to be there. You want somebody great for your, you want somebody great for your movie. You mm-hmm. want the, the, the best person you can get. You care about this thing more than anything. It would make you, it would be, you'd be so thrilled if the, if the actor walks through and just like, Oh my God, that's the person, right? I just had a casting director on a couple days ago, uh, Jessica Sherman. She oh yeah. Was, she was, she said the same the thing. Exact. She was like, all we want you to do is be that person. We all want to go home just yeah, like you do. That's, she's exactly correct. <laughs> and so, and so you should know as an actor like, th- we're all rooting for you. Everybody in that room wants you to be great. Everybody in that room wants to cast you until you walk through that door. Mm-hmm. And the minute you walk, the second you walk through that door, right, I know if it's a no or a maybe. Do you really know before yeah. they start talking? Yes. Really? Almost, almost every time. Because of what you pictured in your head? Yes. Or? Okay. So a big part of like what I pictured in my head mm-hmm. and, a, and also just that sort of like, insta read right you're like oh no right and mm-hmm. and very or oh great and and you, you can be disappointed or surprised i mean that still happens most times you're not most times it's exactly what you thought it's it's either terrible or it's good not great and mm-hmm. you're, we're not looking for good nobody's looking for good yeah um, it's too much money yeah too much money but also it's like you get to make this one time right one time 
right? It's not a, it's not a stage play. Like this is it, right? So for instance, on We're the Millers, um, Will Poulter came in to, Will Poulter is an incredible actor. He can he played Kenny in the movie, um, which is sort of this young kid role. And mm-hmm. Will came in and didn't look anything like I pictured the character. He was, you know, he's six, four beanstalk buzz cut hair. And, and I'm like, and it was so startling, um, because it didn't look anything like what I thought the character would look like. Um, and he did the first read and it's just electric. And you're like, Oh yeah, yes, of course. Did it again. I'm like, it's even better. <laughs> Who is this guy? Like, I know he was from son of Rambo, but I, mm-hmm. you know, had, I, 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 he was like 10 when he did it and he was like 18 when he came in. Um, and I think twice as tall and, uh, and he finished and then, and then he, he broke out of his American accent and spoke in his, his British accent. I didn't know he's British and he was fantastic and he stole the whole movie and you know, he's an incredible actor. So that, that, that electricity can happen and it's the best thing. It's so good when you just know, you know, um, and the problem with auditioning I mean, there's almost all problems. It's, it's very problematic. It, oh, it's the worst. It's it's terrible for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I explained uh, it the other day uh, to someone. I was like, "You're trying to fit a hundred people's jobs and like a million dollars worth of set dressing, music, editing, directing yeah. into like a dollar fifty moment in yeah, the room." Yeah, that's right. That's a great way of putting it. That's a great way of putting it. I I remember uh, Peter Sarsgaard described it as taking a shit in public, <laughs> uh, and I was like, "Yep, that's." Pretty much right. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's right. it's like it's it's an incredibly vulnerable act, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and also it is a terrible way, usually to to cast your film, it's right? No, it's nothing like it is. It's not. It has almost n- no bearing on, on it. That's why for me, um, I like to um, I like to cast people from the work I've seen them do. Mm-hmm. Then you get into the chicken and egg problem, right? Which is like. Well, great, but I don't have any work, so well, I got out. Right, then that's that's all yeah. well and good. But if I can avoid um, the audition process and cast from previous work in a, in a meeting, I will do that. I hope I never have to audition anybody ever again. Like that's how little that's how little I enjoy it, and that's how little regard I have for it I mean, in terms the, of its its uh, efficacy. I feel like actors goal is to just get to a place in their career where you can just be like check out my previous work mm. like, I don't I don't you know me do I need to come in for you oh so that's let's talk about that yeah because, because it's not my level or probably sure. a lot of uh, my listeners but I'm curious about your thoughts on that that it's it drives me crazy uh because we um you and I did a tv show called Ryan Hansen solves crimes on television mm-hmm. right uh, thank you. And then we did a, uh, we, uh, you were great by the way. Um, Thanks. Uh, uh, everybody should check out Sam. Uh, pilot episode. Uh, it's on my reel. She, she killed it. Uh, and so, uh, and then, uh, and then we just did our second season, but, but awesome. what, um, Oh yeah. Corbo was telling me he got to come back. He's so good. Oh my God. Frank the Tank. <laughs> he's uh, so, the Frankenstein. He's so yeah. He was, uh, he's, he's on the podcast too. He's, yep. he's uh, a great guy and always, always the best guy in whatever scene he's in. I agree. Um, uh, steals every scene. Put them in your movie. Uh, so okay. So it drives me crazy because agents um, will not put their well, they will not send their client in to audition. Uh, it's I know that sounds strange, but at at sort of the Ryan Hansen solved crimes on television level, mm-hmm. so often we'll say, hey, we'd love you know, do you think this person would come come read? And they go, uh, no, offer only. And you're like, wait, what? Uh, this person is offer only like what, like 
fuck you. <laughs> and and what I don't, what I do, and, and also on Skyscraper, my last movie, like there were like people who were just offer only, and and I just don't understand it. I don't understand because it goes like this: the agents are t- apparently terrified of being fired, um, and they and they don't want to put their client in a place in a position where they get their feelings hurt, where they get passed on. Right? I'm not saying this logic makes sense. I'm saying mm-hmm. this is their logic. Right? So there have been times where we haven't cast somebody that we actually wanted to cast because they wouldn't come in and we moved on. It's wild. It's wild. And that wild person to me. probably never will never know. That. Never of course not. No, of course not. They won't know. See, this is why it matters your the re- the people you choose to represent you actually represent you. Yes. Instead of them instead of trying to mitigate being fired or you know or, or some sort of bizarre fear. Mm. Like for me, I go, you know, when I was working as a writer for hire or director for hire, um, which I haven't done in a while, but when I was doing that, like, you know, and I still have gone on 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 uh, on, on basically auditions for for jobs and, and haven't gotten them. Like that's life in the NFL. Like, yeah. like you got to go and put your best foot forward and speak with passion and commitment and clarity. And if they don't pick you, they don't pick you, and that sucks. And you move on. Yeah. But you don't not do that. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. That's- three-fourths of the jobs we do as actors is show up and try. Yeah. And then probably don't get it. Probably don't get it. That's, I'd say like 90% actually. It's, I, I don't envy you. Mm-hmm. I don't envy you. But, but uh, just to, to finish the thought on, on, on auditions and whatnot, um, so on Skyscraper, um, so Nev Campbell is in mm-hmm. Skyscraper, and she is unbelievable. She's maybe the nicest person I've ever met and unbelievably talented. And in that movie, I gave her some of the the worst expositional dialogue you could imagine, just like embarrassingly <laughs> poor dialogue. And she always made it work, right? Mm-hmm. And made it work with a smile mm-hmm. and never complained. And it was, you know, there's some rough nights on that show. So, <laughs> but, but she sent, um, she, she self-taped and sent it in uh, mm-hmm. for, for Skyscraper. And, and I'd always been a fan, but I never in my mind had, had, had I just wasn't thinking of, of Neb for whatever reason. And the tape came in and I watched it uh, on the, you know, you watched it on your cast it, you know, thing mm-hmm. website. And I, you know, I watched it and it's incredible. And, and I call up Mary Parent and I'm like, you got to watch Nev. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. got to watch Nev. She's like, I'll call you right back. Hangs up. Five minutes later, her phone rings. She's amazing. We got to have her. Right? Like, so, wow. it, so I guess what I'm saying is if Nev Campbell will, will, will self-tape, everybody should fucking self-tape. Right. And the other thing is it works. Like yeah. it really works and it's worth it. Her self tape on a on a logistical level. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what it looked like? Mm-hmm. Was it like a plain wall? Was it because sometimes mm-hmm. like I've talked to people before mm-hmm. about this. When you're self taping, it feels very um, low level. Sometimes uh-huh. I'm like uh-huh. I'm standing against a blank wall mm-hmm. in my house mm-hmm. on my iPhone, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it feels like it's not like I I made one for a, a big director recently, and I was like this feels like it's not good enough mm. to send into. You know, I'm sending this to like these people who are packaging from CAA. Yeah, like, yeah. Why would they pick me standing in my living room? So yep. what is her, what did you remember what her table yeah, was? Yeah, uh, it was, I think it was actually in her living room. It wasn't against a blank wall. That's and she, it. and her, um, her husband, who's also an actor and fantastic actor, read the off camera and, um, and it was just, it was very simple. I would say the important things are sound. Make sure mm-hmm. that the sound is, is a good quality. Um, and the image, I, I know this sounds weird, but maybe less so. Um, I mean, they both should be good, but if you had to pick, you want sound. Okay. Um, and and it, it it doesn't matter where. You're, so here's another one on on skyscraper. So Hannah Quinlan, uh, Quinlan played uh, this uh, character named Shia, who's this sort of badass lady assassin. And we 
uh, we're looking at all kinds of actresses for, for the part. And her tape came in, and she was in a wheelchair, right? Roll did not call for this. She was in a wheelchair with, with two guns shooting and, and saying her lines. And, like it was, and, and she was like moving through this hospital. It what? was like a whole thing, right? And I come to find out that she had just given birth two weeks before. And she couldn't really walk around. And her husband, um, Jay Chow, who's like the coolest, uh, was the one pushing the wheelchair and they shot this whole thing. And, I, and it was great, but I'm also like, I don't, whoever this person is, the fact that she would do this, like this is the kind of person I want in the movie. This is the kind of passion that I want. She was great and I would have cast her anyways, but the fact that she was willing to do that yeah. all day long. Like they're going to show up and play. Yeah, they're going to show up and, the, and they're game to win, right? And like it's, it's a grind on these movies and it's not always fun. And it's n- almost never glamorous. And, and, <laughs> right. and what you need is somebody who's, who's there to win with you, who's, who's there to be like, yeah. Like, that's one thing about Dwayne that's great. Like, mm-hmm. we had, on Skyscraper, we had this, like, there was this, this stunt that wasn't working, this, this technical effect, uh, this special effect that was just kept shitting the bed. And it was like, it was like three in the morning. And, you know, I, I typically have a lot of patience, but I was like ready to murder somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and I kept in Dwayne, you know, we had to the keep Dwayne waiting. Just oh, brutal. Psycho. And I was like ready to lose it. Right. And, uh, and Dwayne, you know, shows up on set and I'm like, man, I am so sorry that we're still doing this. And he looked at me and he smiled and he goes, let's make movies, man. It's no problem. Uh, and I'm like, oh, and it should really put it in, in perspective uh, for me. You know, we're not curing cancer, and sometimes things don't work, and have some perspective. And if the biggest movie star in the world is cool, yeah. like, you know, take a breath. What makes a good actor on set then? Uh, gosh, uh, so many things. No, and, 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 all, and all these actors are so different. Um, I would say, um, you know, uh, and it's all sort of just basic stuff, like, uh, you know, punctuality, mm-hmm. um, preparedness, um, are really important. So like show up on time, know your lines. Um, and then I would say, um, uh, be open, you know, and, and, and a lot of times, uh, yeah. And I think, I think just positive attitude. So punctuality, preparedness, and positive attitude. I know those are all three P's, but, <laughs> but, um, but for me, like I've, I'm I'm typically I'm a yes and director mm-hmm. almost always. So I've had experience. I've learned the hard way that when an actor has an idea or an instinct and they come to me with this idea, I always say yes. I always say yes um, because I've been wrong so many times. And what does it cost me to to do a take a different way? It costs me nothing. Right. And there've been so like I remember. I made a movie called uh, called um, Mysteries of Pittsburgh, and I, it was Peter Sarsgaard was in it. And he said, uh, "There's a scene," and he's like, "You know, I really feel like I should just hug him here, right?" And uh, and it was like completely the wrong idea, right? And I and I remember in my mind going, "Oh, that is a terrible, 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 terrible idea." And and I and I went, "Great, let's do it. Let's try it. Let's let's go." Sorry, I'm banging the microphone no, here. Okay. Next take, hugs him. It was cool. I'm like, "Great, moving on." And you know, six months later in the editing room, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, we have to put this hug in. And it's in the movie. It's, you know, and it, it's perfect in the movie. Yeah. And at the time I'm like, this will never see the light of day. And then, and then, but then of course, of course he's right. Like he, the actor is living in this, in this creature. Yeah. And even if you've created it, it's different when you're performing it than creating it. Right. That makes it fun too, because 
sometimes, especially when you've, you were writing and directing something, there's like a, a tunnel vision. I'm yeah. sure even creative people like it. you would get, but then to have an actor's tunnel vision at the same time, you can intersect and open up some new lanes. Yeah. Or, or smash into each other if you're not, if you're not <laughs> doing it the right way. But yeah, it's definitely different as the writer director because mm-hmm. I have to play all the parts as I'm writing them. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm doing the voices, I'm doing the banter, I'm doing the lines, I'm typing it in, and da da da. So I've already performed the whole movie in my mind, which cannot be fun for some actors. But, but, um, like Kevin, Kevin Hart made fun of me because he, um, because I do a lot of takes, but uh, or he thinks I do a lot of takes. Uh, I don't, but he, you know, he's like a three take, uh, three take kind of guy. Um, if and um, and uh, he made fun of me because he imitated me at the monitor. It's like this is how. This is how you watch, right? And he goes like this, right? Like I just close my eyes and listen because all I care about is my dialogue. I don't care about anything else. And uh, he's wrong. Um, and, uh, and I'm certainly open uh, to, to trying it any which way. I usually want to try to get what I wrote um, once or twice good and then whatever we want to do after that, I'm all game for. But it's a long way around to saying like my experience has been the, the great thing about actors is they can do something that almost nobody else can do, right? And you have this giant, expensive, you know, lumbering machine mm-hmm. to create these movies, right? And it's inefficient and it's loud and it's fussy and lots of times maddening. But the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is what's in those frame lines. And almost always the only thing that matters that's in that, that's in that frame line or those frame lines is an actor's face and a close-up. And the right close-up the right actor can beat any any monologue, any bit of writing, any explosion, and it isn't close. And and that is both wonderful and really depressing for me. Um, uh, so so like so it's the the only thing that matters in a movie is the actors. Like like that's it. Like um, and we can all say whatever else we want, but that's why people go to the movies for human connection. You know. Um, Thanks for validating us, Ross. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, most times, uh, you know, I want to choke you guys to death on set, but, <laughs> but, but uh, not most times, often. Uh, and, but yeah, it's 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 the truth. It's the it's the whole game. Two quick questions yeah. um, to wrap us up. Yep. One, speaking of running the roles in your brain, you've been in several. Uh, oh. <laughs> Oh, Just yeah. a quick rundown of some roles that you've had on IMDb: oh. obnoxious Las Vegas homophobe, yep. Quiznos guy, yep. the ultimate border guard, nailed it, handsome pants catcher. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. I think there's a theme. Um, so look, I am not an actor. Nobody sh- should ever be forced to see that. But um, but uh, I've done a sort of cameo in a couple of my movies, and then. Um, I have some director friends and we all sort of agreed to sort of torture each other by putting each other in a film. And one small uh, story. So my friend Jeremy Garrelick made a movie called The Wedding Ringer with Kevin Hart and Josh Gad. When you came on the screen, I was like, what is he doing in this movie? Uh, Yes, that was what I said. That's what I... So Jeremy Garrelick, my my dear friend, calls me up. He's like, hey man, you want to be in my movie? And I was like, no, no, fuck no, I don't want to be in your movie. He's like, come on, it'll be fun. And I'm like, what do I got to do? He's like, you just play cop. All you have to do is say license and registration, please. Uh, I, I, I typecast as a cop. I have apparently I have a cop face, resting cop face, and um, and uh, and I'm like, yeah, all right, all right, yeah, I can I can say license and registration, please, right? Show up on the day. It's downtown Los Angeles, nighttime, and uh, I walk into my sort of vertical coffin kind of you know dressing room, and my <laughs> cop thing is there, and and uh, and uh, and I get the sides, and it's it's not 
it's not just license registration. It's three lines, not one line. And my phone rings, and it's Jeremy. And he's like, hey, man, I'm so excited that you're here. I'm like, hey, Jeremy, you said it was one line. It's three lines. I'm not an actor. What the? And he's like, I know, I know. I got some more for you. And I'm like, all right, all right. And I'm just like scribbling down lines on the sides. And you know. And then I go to do the scene. And the scene is like, I'm a cop. I get out. Of, I've pulled over a van of, of uh, Kevin Hart and Josh Gad, and they're all doing something. Did you know? Had you guys worked out there at that point? No, no. I'd met Kevin, but never okay. worked with, with him before. This is pre-Central Intelligence. And so... And I walk up to the thing, say license and registration, please. And then, and then Jeremy's like, okay, now just improv. And I'm like, I am not, like, I've got like two world-class comedians and Josh Gad and, and Kevin Hart. And like, I can't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm not an actor. I'm not, I'm, I'm, but here's the important thing. At one point early, I came up to Jeremy and I said, um, what's happened? Cause I didn't read the script. I'm like, what happened before this? Like, you know, how do you want me to say license and registration? So I was essentially asking, what's my motivation? Because because the way you say li- uh, license and registration, please, is very different if I think it's a bunch of drunk teenagers is, and it's just a joke, or if I feel like I might get shot. Like, they're totally different, right? And I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what was really important f- to be reminded as a director in that moment is how vulnerable this act is and how important those questions are from an actor Mm -hmm. because they inform everything. And I try when I'm working on a scene to talk to the actors about what's happened just before this and sometimes what happens after this because oftentimes it's you're shooting things out of order and you can't remember. So that part's really important. Also, when I was shooting the scene, I didn't know where the cameras were. I didn't know what the, the lenses were. I didn't know what the frame was. And how much trust you have to have in your director, it was just great to be reminded of that. And then when I finished the take, I, I didn't know if he liked it. Like, I'm like, is that what you wanted? Like, <laughs> I can do something different. And it was so vulnerable and so interesting. And I was like, oh, no wonder all these actors are crazy. Like, it's it's a crazy-making process. If you come insane, it's a bonkers thing, right? Um, and so it really was – I'm so glad I did it. I never want to do it again. And 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 Because I'm not good at it. And people who are good at it, I just – it's like – you can either hit a fastball or you can't, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can either do this thing or you can't. I can't. And the actors who can are worth their weight in gold, mm-hmm. you know? And it's not a function of intelligence, strictly, you know, as nor is screenwriting, frankly. But, but if you can do this, if you can convey emotion with your eyes and face, like, in a real way, it's, it's, it's a miracle, um, and last thing I'll say is, I remember on Where the Millers, I remember the other sort of moment I, I, uh, that I always hold with me is we were doing a scene in the RV, and Will Poulter was, you know, take three or whatever, and I call cut, and I go up to Will, and I'm like, hey, man, um, you know, can we try on this one just a little more like this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, great. And I took half a step away, and I didn't go all, I was like, I took half a step away from Will, and I just listened. And I said, you know, I, I gave my note to Will, like, can you do it a little more like this? And then the boom guy comes in and goes, hey, can you just make sure that you don't lean forward because i got a plant mic here, right? And then the scripty comes in and goes, actually, it's we are, not we're. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, great. And then the, the camera guy's like, make sure that you're not here because I can't move. If you're going to move up, i got to do this. And then I think it was like he was getting makeup on and fussed with mm-hmm. and then ready and action, you know? Like, I think it was like a dozen notes from, from a dozen different uh-huh. department heads and, and about eight seconds to make those changes and action, Right. And he nailed it. Um, and I don't know how. And I don't know how you guys do it. And, uh, and I am desperately grateful for great actors in my movies and in all movies. Mm, that was so good. That kind of answers my last question. So I think oh, that's good. Okay. This is a pleasure. Do you want to, uh, do you have any 
thing you want to like direct people to or uh, oh, any upcoming um, I mean obviously um, uh, I guess I've got an Instagram Ross and Thurber and a Twitter at Ross and Thurber if you guys are interested in following me I'm not really into the, the uh, social media at the moment I'm, I try to take that stuff off my off my phone unless I'm uh, promoting something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would pretty much be it. I would say I'm about to go make a, hopefully, fingers crossed, about to go make a, a big fancy movie and Yay. it comes out, um, it's supposed to come out June, or sorry, November 13th, 2020. Cool. Um, so mark your calendars now and uh, <laughs> I'll come back and beg for people to go see it. Where are you filming that one? Uh, uh, Italy. Uh, large, uh, largely Italy. Are you just putting movies everywhere so you can travel? Well, this, this one, uh, yeah, actually, this one my wife is like, can't you just write something for where we want to go? And I'm like, okay. And I just, uh, you think I'm joking. I'm actually not. That's um, So, yeah, Rome, uh, Rome, uh, Bali, Bora Bora, uh, Paris, uh, someplace, Italian Alps, um, all right, fine. I'll start writing movies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. Uh, Sam, thank you so much. And that brings us to the end of Rawson's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I learned a lot. And I know I say all the time that I hate writing, but Rawson's really an inspiring guy and watching his career trajectory has been incredible. So I am super proud to call him a friend and I am so excited for all of the stuff he has coming out. All of the show notes and topics, of course, as always from this episode, will be available on Rawson's page at onebrokeactress.com. Guys, thank you so much for listening, and I'm glad you're still listening because now I'm going to give you this week's Solo Sam episode topic. On Thursday, we are going to talk all about what it means to be a responsible and respectful actor. This can mean many different things to many different people. So I would love if you could email me back at the One Broke Actress newsletter that you received in your inbox, or you can message me from onebrokeactress.com. You can contact me on Instagram at onebrokeactress or at Sam Valentine, but I want to know what that means to you and if there's any lessons you have learned about being a responsible and respectful actor. We're going to kind of talk about booking out and communicating and all of the things that make you the most professional yourself. It's going to be a short bonus episode on Thursday, so make sure you're subscribed, rated, and reviewed, and maybe share the podcast with a friend. I don't know. Thank you again to Laurel Canyon Creative for help with this podcast. Thank you to Maggie Zabo for your beautiful theme song. And guys, I will talk to you on Thursday. 